Welcome to the Heroes of Reality Podcast, a podcast about the game of life and the hero's journey we all experience. Let's jump in with our host, Dylan Watkins, as he introduces today's guest. Welcome, young adventurers. Dylan here. And on today's podcast, I have my uncle, Meta. He is a PhD in quantum physics and space-time. Since then, his research is focused on understanding how our brains create intelligence and abstract ideas such as space-time. They measure the activities of many individual neurons while rats investigate the virtual world. There is only a lab in the world to directly measure how the neurons respond to the virtual world and how the real world. Uh, using this and the sophisticated mathematical techniques, they were able to ask many fundamental questions, including how does our brains determine what is real? Their research has a wide range of applications and from the education to AI and treatment of neuropsychiatric disorders. So without any delay, I'd like to welcome Meunk. Hey, brother, how are you doing today? Hey, how are you? Good to be here. Glad to have you here. Uh, and I would, as, as we were saying earlier, uh, wel- welcome to the metaverse. As and I'm so <laughs> that's right. So glad you could be. I was brother. Meta before Meta came along. <laughs> yeah, I brother. Was born Meta. <laughs> I know, I know. I told you that. That's the thing. You, you should change your last name to just that symbol, right? Just that little like infinity that's right. symbol from Meta. So, <laughs> hey, brother. So I'm I'm excited to talk to you. Um, and you and I'd like to first kick things off just a little bit, just so people have a bit of your background, understand your journey. Um, and you're, I mean, you're in a really uh, unique field there of quantum physics and space time. Can you talk to me about your journey through space and time and how you got into the space? Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, thank you. I'm glad to speak about that. Uh, it's a long journey. I've, the mm-hmm. journey has been going on for uh, many, many years. So I want to compress it in few key points. So I was born in a very poor family. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of you have seen the movie Slumdog Millionaire. That's where my school was. And across the railroad track from the Slumdog Millionaire is where I used to live. So I've seen the rough things. And not a single student from my class except me went to college, let alone the rest of things. And so that got me thinking, you know, he's my best friend. He's brighter than me. And due to financial resources, he could not make it. And somehow. I got in. Mm. Now, along the same, while that financial and crime and all the chaos was going on, something weird happened in my brain. Mathematics seemed like obvious to me. I never had to study math. Just obvious. I just used to fiddle around, take all the math books before the school began, and just solve the problems for fun. And my parents thought something was weird with these guys. So my mother, distinctly, I remember, used to push me out of the house and say, go play. (laughs) <laughs> which I used to. So the weirdness started early yeah. on. In short, there was some weirdness. Long story short, I, I got some fellowship, God knows why, uh, got some donations, got textbooks, somehow studied, got out of that thing. And then I thought, man, won't it be cool to figure out all those things I always wondered about. What are these bloody stars? They're always there no matter where you go. So I said, mm-hmm. I'll study quantum physics. And I started studying, and lo and behold, that's, and this is the message that resonates through the whole discussion today, because I was forced to study on my own. Mm. I had no resources. I had to make up half the stuff on my own. There was not even textbooks. Teachers were so poor, they didn't know the material they were teaching. So as soon as I got into the grad school, I asked some of the basic questions. What the hell is time? What is this time business? Space, I can say right here, right there, 
what is this time business? And I came up with my own theory of time in a matter of a few weeks. And then the story started to turn into virtual reality. So I wrote up my papers and I showed to my advisor, who was a very, very bright guy. He said, this is all bogus, doesn't make sense. And I thought, how come things that I, I, I created the whole, my theory of space time in a matter of two weeks? And my advisor, who's the smartest guy I have seen, he doesn't seem to get it at all. I thought, first of all, I was making a mistake, but eventually I made the jump to say I'm right. Those manuscripts got published in top journals and several Nobel laureates said that, man, what you have discovered here is the biggest discovery since relativity. I kid you not. So this started to sound really weird. On one hand, some people think I have done bigger than relativity, I have my own theory of space time. And on the other hand, people I respect think this is bogus. Mm. So where is all this? And at that point, I made a fatal mistake which is to say, you know what, it's all in here. Mathematics is 100% in the head. Physics is what is in the head that you verify experimentally, but mathematics is entirely in the head. Mm. So how, what is this mathematics that we all seem to take for granted? Because clearly dogs don't have the same math that we have. They're pretty smart, but not our math. So I'm going to spend just six months and figure out how does the brain create abstract ideas? Well. Turned out that six months was a slight underestimate. <laughs> I still haven't figured out <laughs> how that works. Mm -hmm. And that's where I got into virtual reality and the brain. See, that's, I mean, abstract ideas, which is, I mean, would you consider it to be yeah. things like creativity? Would that be yeah. uh, complex concepts? Yeah. What's, what's amazing about this, and I've had lots of concepts with these with people on the topics of when you're in an area that you create something that's somewhat novel and new, there is, uh, you almost always considered crazy. The idea is crazy. It's right. And then, that's it right. Goes in, then it goes into prolific, and then it goes yeah. into common knowledge, and then it's like, well, that's duh, right. of course. Of course, that's the way that's it goes, right? right? And so right. it sounds like you first started out that one where the, the, the smartest guy that you knew said, okay, that's crazy. And then you kind of slid into the prolific once you got announced. And now, you're, you know, at some point we're going to get into the common knowledge. It may not be there yet, um, exactly. but, you're, but that's the journey that you set. I'd love to learn a little bit because that's the one thing that I feel like humanity, the like AI is slowly eating it away that what is people, right? They say like a science is uh, slowly uncovers the pieces of God and, the, and goes away, right? And I feel that... AI eats away at what humans can do. And the, one of the last bastions of space we have is what you're calling complex ideas or creativities yeah. or those 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 um, uncommon connections and correlations, yeah. right? So could you talk to me a, li a little bit, um, what is, uh, from your studies so far, uh, what is complex ideas? What is creativity? Yeah. Where does it come from? All that jazz. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you touched upon a couple of very important topics. Yeah. Let me go through very quickly each one, and then I focus a little more on what we have done. It okay. seems like right now people have mixed opinion about AI. Mm -hmm. Some very famous people have said that AI is going to destroy the planet. Hold on. Hold on your horses. This is a bad idea. As you mentioned, many think it's going to chip away at everything, and it will take away what we are humans because the bot can do everything. Mm -hmm. For this, we need to look 100 years ago. When people first came out, or maybe 200 years, I don't know history at all, but first time that people said, instead of horses, let's use an engine. 
people were afraid. People were deathly afraid. The engines are bad. They're going to destroy the planet. They're dangerous. You cannot control them. There was industrial revolution. Those engines did not destroy the planet at all at that time. That's the catch. <laughs> at the time, the engines did not destroy the planet. And mm -hmm. here we are. You and I are able to talk. And if that jump humanity had not mentioned, made, we won't be right now sitting comfortably in warm or cool houses and talking about these things. So that's a great thing. At the same time, it led to wars and bombs. And right now, the planet is in trouble due to those engines in ways that nobody could imagine at that time. Yeah. The same thing is true about AI. Mm -hmm. Human beings are human beings. Any tool that you make, human beings will put it to good use and others will put it to bad use. It's not the tool itself that's a problem. The good and bad is us, what we do with it. A knife we can use to chop vegetables or we can do something mean. So I'm not worried about AI. I think AI is there is nothing intelligent in the current AI at all. It's A. That's all there is to it. And that's a good start. Now, let me come to intelligence part, which is mm -hmm. where I got into the first place. Yeah. So I happen to have spent many years thinking about it. So my first thought was, man, mathematics, right? Here I am sitting with piece of paper and pencil, scribbling down some complicated algebras, Lie algebras, Grassman variables, numbers whose square is zero, crazy things like that. And it eventually made sense to many people. Mathematics is really it. It seemed like it to me. And hence, us, us humans are, of course, intelligent. No animal has it, and so on and so forth. But that didn't sound right to me. Because we evolved from other creatures. So why would our intelligence all of a sudden appear in a flash without other creatures? Mm. Now, if I want to probe intelligence in other creatures, it's a good thing to do because it puts us on equal footing. And how will I even ask, right? I can ask you, you know, some problem in calculus, but how will I ask that to a dog? But I know the dog is intelligent. I don't have the right question. That's where virtual reality comes in. So I started mm. to think quite a bit long ago. Is it only a human ability to create intelligence? Is it just mathematics? Mozart clearly was intelligent. Somebody who made an amazing painting is clearly intelligent. So what about animals? And if after a lot of thinking, it became clear that the intelligence is the thing that we are using it all the time. You're using it right now. So you're looking at the screen in front of you, and you see some bunch of light-colored stuff in front of you. And if I were to ask you, Dylan, what's in between you and the screen? It's a space. So I said, all right, lift your hand and stick it about six inches in front of your head between you and the screen. You'll be able to do it. Mm -hmm. and ask you, okay, what, what's there? What, where did you put your hand? Say, it's space. Well, can you touch it? You can. Can you smell it? You can. Can you, can you hear it? There is nothing. So all animals create this weird thing called space. We mm -hmm. only see walls and trees. Our brain creates the perception of space in between. And by the same token, we only feel certain events. Our brain creates that abstract idea called time. Now, these ideas all animals have. Otherwise, they'll bump into each other. Not only that, the animal's ability of space and time must be exactly the same as your and my ability to perceive space and time. Otherwise, we'll bump into each other. Lions will eat all the zebras. Zebras are dead. Lions are fat. Planet comes to an end. Ain't going to mm -hmm. work. 
So, mm. in fact, the whole space and time starts to get even more interesting. Migratory birds go from North Pole to South Pole without GPS. We all know that. Pretty amazing. Yeah. But on the way, they dive and pick up tiny bits of fish, fresh, best possible sushi from the water. Yeah. The bird and the fish live in completely different medium. They never experience each other's world. Fish is only seen the world with water. No, doesn't know what is there. Can't fly. Can't go fly. Bird never knows what is it to be inside the water. This weird physics of refractive index, light bends, and all kinds of stuff. The bird and the fish are perfectly in sync, despite completely different experiences and gene pools. If their perception of space and time was not accurate within millimeters and tens of milliseconds. Once again, either all the birds get birds get too fat and fish are eaten up or vice versa. Mm. So that means that this thing called space and time that we are creating constantly is a universal operation that all animals do, despite the differences in their experiences, their brains, and their genomics. It See, turns out, yeah. Go ahead, please. So one thing I find really interesting as we're talking about this topic is. What, what I one of my fundamental things I've come across is I think we live in a couple of different realities. We live in our own internal mental model realities that we're taking and our narratives and our designs and what we sell, what we say to ourselves, the stories we tell ourselves like that. Then we have this social reality that we live in, the reality that, me and, you are, that me and you are creating that we're currently doing at the same time that we're going through this, whether through time and space and we're using the collaborations. And then we also have the physical reality and or the virtual reality, which is the physical environment or the virtual environment that we see ourselves in. And what it right. seems like is that we're, we're, you know, OG virtual reality is your imagination, right? And so you have this pace and then now we're co-creating, we're co-creating this shared virtual reality, which is the social right. reality. And then we have the physical, hard, actual dimensional physical reality that we're yeah. going up to that's physics. And so it sounds like the, what you've been studying in terms of that is really understanding how how we perceive that reality or, or the totality of the reality moving from inner to social right physical and back through and this is kind of kind of the blending from the the fish and the bird they're in their own mental model realities they have a social reality that they're shared i.e I, I eat you and then they, they're going through the physical realities and they're kind of touching where their physical realities are kind of at they're, they're, they're somewhat disconnected, but they kind of merge at this at this little luminary space. Very right? precisely. They have to merge mm -hmm. very precisely. Mm -hmm. If all of a sudden the birds acquired the ability to be much faster than fish, mm -hmm. then fish will be wiped out. Or if fish became just a little smarter, imagine if they managed to dodge a diving bird by just a blink of an eye, birds are wiped out. Yeah. So you see the magic is hidden right in front of us. We think that all the amazing things we do, such as creativity, mathematics of various forms, that's where intelligence is. And we, we, we seek the AI to do those things. Here, actually, there's a magic that's happening right in front of us. There's one thing called space and time that every species on this planet is creating constantly because we walk around, the world changes, and they agree with each other 100%. They may not agree with each other about who eats whom uh, or what is delicious or what is horrible. Nobody agrees with that. Space and time we create out of completely thin air, not even thin air out of vacuum, and we agree not. Now, mm. the things that you mentioned about the other spheres of space, such as social space or, mm. or the space of my experiences. Now, scientists 
started to study where in brain is space created. About 50 years ago, pioneering experiments showed that actually there's a tiny part of the brain, more or less at the center of your brain, not the top of the part, which is the convoluted neocortex, but one of the oldest part of the brain. So old, it's called the old brain, archicortex. No wonder the old brain is the one that every animal carries. Mm -hmm. That old brain is the one where there are neurons that code for where you are in space. That was discovered about 40 years, 50 years ago, and they got the Nobel Prize for the discovery, rightly so, just about five years ago. But since the discovery of the part of the brain that creates information about where you, that, where you are in space, few other things have become known. Mm. It turns out that the same part of the brain keeps information about social structures as well. The same part of the brain is involved in creating perception of music. Musicians, that part of the brain is bigger. Same part of the brain is involved in Alzheimer's disease. It's involved in ADHD. It's involved in depression and schizophrenia. Think that you will never see are related. Alzheimer's patient famously can't remember what they had for lunch and so on. Same part of the brain. So now you wonder, wait a minute. Here a minute ago, we were talking about space and time, which are very solid physical quantities. You can measure in units and seconds, and they are very, very precise. How come that same part and the same set of neurons are encoding other weird things, which are highly subjective, such yeah. as social thing or my personal experiences? That's what we are studying. And the hypothesis is, our working hypothesis, which means probably wrong, but hey, yeah. that's what we got. It's a big problem, so we've yeah. got to start somewhere. Yeah. Our working hypothesis is that as soon as an animal, the first animal was born, that animal had to wiggle. Maybe a little worm or a paramecium or something had to wiggle. Instantly, that animal had to have some network to create a perception of distance and time. How far did I go? Which direction I went roughly? We believe that that same amazing hardware that takes in hard facts and create this weird abstraction called space and time, that same algorithm is then being used to create other realities, such as social reality or my personal reality. Mm. That's what we are going with. And it turns out that our recent publications show exactly that. But that took a couple of million dollars in experience, experiments in virtual reality. So we, we get there. <laughs> so, this is, so what you're saying is this, is that the, the ability to move through time and space shapes, yes. your, shapes not only what you would know of, of being able to actually map your environment. In, and so you That's have right. kind of like you have a mental map on the physical reality, but then you also have another map, which is the social map on top of the. On top right. of the so, so, and so you're saying that the, in order to function in this reality, we really are needing to, we need to be able to first move around and get a, and, and get a calibration. Right. Basically the same way you'd move your phone like this through this That's space. Right. So That's exactly. Okay. That's right. It's not just calibration. Mm -hmm. It gets weirder than that. Let's mm -hmm. look at this computer. The computer hardware was developed to crunch numbers mm -hmm. long ago. Atomic bomb, Manhattan Project, all kinds of stuff. People developed computers. Once the hardware was developed, we are using that same hardware to watch movies, have a conversation. It's just like that. The fundamental algorithm that evolution developed over a billion years mm -hmm. or so 
was how do you take hard facts such as something is hotter something is colder mm -hmm. and turn them into abstract concepts such as that hot thing is far away that cold thing is nearby i should go towards the colder side which is this way it sounds simple but that's a generalization and abstraction two hallmarks of artificial intelligence which they still can't do we believe that structure is doing it constantly it's doing so much that we don't even notice we are doing it if i were to ask you space well yeah of course there is space big deal it's so obvious it's literally hidden right under our noses mm -hmm. now to get to that how that is being done that's the hard part so, and what yeah and one of the things that, correct me if I'm wrong, with as uh, looking at a bit of your studies and just trying to just trying to understand it from my own layman as yeah. point of uh, perspective here, is one of the things that you found out is that the the same tools of the brain that is using to understand space and time is also uh, understanding music and our social relations yes. and a lot of the elements. So in theory, if you're able to sharpen the tools of the brain using one system, it will then exactly. sharpen, it will sharpen the same tools across the board. So exactly. That's okay. exactly the idea. Mm -hmm. That's exactly the idea that if we mm -hmm. can do that, then we instantly make our so-called generalized intelligence. People use the idea. We don't know if it exists or not, but that's like that. If you make the hardware faster, the computer is going to run better for everything, whether you're sending an email or doing complicated calculations. Mm -hmm. But in order to get there, it turned out we had to go through a small nuance, which turned out to be a really big deal. And that's what goes back to the difference between animals and us. Many animals, so we were studying rat brains uh, because rat brains are simpler in many ways. So if you understand how space and time are encoded in a simpler brain, then we can carry over the ideas to very complicated brains of ours with complicated language and all kinds of stuff. So we let the rat run around in the maze like the amazing discovery 40 years ago. And we saw these neurons which fire in one particular place, so-called place cells. Fine. That all worked out perfectly. But the next step made me think a little bit. Because the experience that the rat has is totally different than the experience you and I have. Mm. And the rat walks around the world. His face is right there next to the ground. His mouth is about half a centimeter from the ground. His nose maybe one centimeter from the ground. His eyes are right next to the ground. His ears are next to the ground and the whole world is up there. Mm -hmm. The space that we are creating based on our experience, we don't even know what's really on our ground unless we trip on it or something. We don't mm -hmm. stand the ground unless it's really stinky. So it turns out when people looked into the human brain, to understand how human brain creates perception of space and time, they didn't find these place cells. So there was already this dichotomy was going on that here, me, the meta, <laughs> is saying that space and time must be universal. And I'm going on and on about how that's an abstract and amazing hardware. But if you go and look through what people are doing, then all of a sudden you find that the animals don't have it. So which is it? Is it? that human beings oops oh it looks like we lost you for a hot second there not too sure what he was going to say it sounded like something pretty epic there um i think he might have accidentally dropped it or he might have dropped the link with him going through that it i think we might have had a disconnection through time and space but i'm just going to talk for a minute just to kind of 
reiterate and restate and rethink about what's been going on here in terms of in terms of understanding this technology. And so uh, Mayak here has actually been going through and he's been really breaking down the understanding of how does time and space relate to the animals, like doing studies on rats, as well as working in it with people to really break that down and say, okay, are we, what is the time and space and how does that relate to everybody? I believe he's gonna come back here in a hot second when he reconnects. What I think happened, and this is my guess what's going on, is that he accidentally unplugged his internet. And so he brought, or didn't have this, his laptop charge plugged in. And so he unplugged it and then got disconnected from this area in this environment. Not too sure what it is, but we're gonna wait until he comes back and get into this. But this is a fascinating topic. One of the studies that he did um, is, one of the things that he did, and I think he's coming back into this, is he studied rats' brains to see about the effects that virtual rowdy had to actually see, does it actually help with Alzheimer's? Does it, if you, if you can run a rat through virtual reality, can you actually use the virtual rowdy environment to sharpen the tools of the brain of the rat to be able to then help that rat not only understand the lay of the land, but then also to map that out backwards to actually fix things like Alzheimer's, the understanding of music and all these other things. And this is one of the things I'm actually really excited to talk to him about is can, can we use virtual reality to actually be able to train the brain, sharpen the tools of the mind to be able to do this? He's back and we're going to actually ask him right now. Welcome back, Mayak. I know that you, uh, I'm sorry. It's all good. My guest was, did you have your laptop unplugged? Is that what happened? Did you? Actually, the laptop was plugged in, but the power wasn't uh, turned off. Yeah. And I got no warning. It just turned off. So I'm yeah. really sorry. It's all good. That's okay. I was, I was kind of recapping just a little bit about what yeah. you're talking about through space and time. I talked a little bit about your, some of the uh, the rat studies you've been doing, the effects that virtuality yeah. has on the brain, the possible effects it has for Alzheimer's, some of the reasons why right. I was interested to talk to you about all of this. But just want to kind of uh, uh, keep it moving yeah. along as you, as you kind of hopped off there for a second. But please, you were talking right now about you know what 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 is true is it is it the, the space and time is it in reality is, right. is it true inside the rat's yeah. brain or in the human's brain and where right. have you been up to that with your with your studies so far that's exactly right so as i was mentioning that on one hand we have this hypothesis that space and time must be universal mm -hmm. if a logical experience shows that it must be so otherwise how the hell but when we looked inside the brain, and many people before us looked inside the brain, they found that they're called space neurons. They behave like space neurons in a rat brain, but not in a human brain or in a monkey brain that some people looked at. It was not very clear at all. And clearly, we are more advanced in evolution. So if at all, the space neurons should be much better in our brain, not worse. And then what the hell has that got to do with Alzheimer's disease and why Alzheimer's patients not only are lost in space, but they're also lost in conversation. What's the relation between space and conversation? So all that was getting complicated. So we thought one way to do this is to let the human beings behave like rats. So we go on all four. We start walking on the ground with our nose next to ground. Eh, not the best idea because our life is in this space, not in that space. So we thought, what if we do the other way around? This was 10, about 12 years ago when most people didn't care for virtual reality. We thought, what if we built a virtual reality for rats? We want to make sure that virtual reality is a happy virtual reality, which means that rat goes into it happily 
he walks around and he finds little treats buried in the virtual maze. So it's a treasure hunt. So we checked. The first thing was, it's a wild idea, right? Mm -hmm. If I were to go and tell a funding agency, as I did 12 years ago, say, hey, in order to figure out Alzheimer's disease, we want to train rats to play video games. And pretty much the response I got was, get out of here. <laughs> it's as, as bad as me telling them, you know, in order to figure out Alzheimer's disease and artificial intelligence thrown in, let me make rats watch television. Sounds yeah. totally moronic. They are not going to watch TV. So why the hell will they play VR? Mm. So we had to play, a, we had to become rat psychologists. And by we, I mean amazing top team members, psychologists, engineers, physicists. We all sat together. We made lots of different versions, which were totally duds. And a couple million dollars later, we built a virtual reality for rats such that the same virtual reality is the one where human being can be plugged into exact same virtual reality so now rats and humans can have the same experience mm. a very new step in the history of evolution that rats and humans are having the same experience we put the rat in it we want to check do they buy into it so we put them on a virtual table mm. when they go to the edge of the table will they turn away like a normal rat in the real world we do but here there's nothing to fall there's nothing to really fall off or something second trial first trial rat went to the edge of the table got stuck second trial turned away just like that third to fourth trial the rat went up to the edge of the table and did a moonwalk walk backwards <laughs> so they're creating this space concept of space yeah. the kind of space that they have never seen in their entire generations of rat life never seen it so then we thought okay that's two-dimensional space can they do 3d so we hung little chandeliers on top just in the virtual reality little chandeliers on top just they were there just for the heck of it will they notice as soon as the rat goes in they straight away look at it and they freak out say, oops this is weird and we thought man the experiment is busted in one minute the rat goes underneath the virtual chandelier, stands up and tries to touch it with his snout. <laughs> uh, there's nothing there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's trying to calibrate the distance too. Okay, exactly. So they totally bought into it. After we start to give them treats in virtual space, every space as far as the rat is concerned is equally stinky, equally comfortable, whatever the thing that they like. When they start to take naps in virtual reality, we knew that they really liked the place. They just chilled out and took a nap after getting some treats. And like the real world, they took naps at the places where they got the treats, <laughs> even though it was the same place. That's so this was this was totally amazing to us. We never asked, we never expected in our wildest dreams that rats will totally buy into it. In fact, they like the VR just like the VR gamers in human being. We take the rat and bring him next to the virtual reality shell and see if they jump in. As soon as we bring them in, they jump straight in and start running. That's <laughs> They're so ready fun. to go. So, so they were, then it's, we turn, yeah. It's, so it's completely believable. Well, for them, it's at least believable enough to yeah. actually, okay, there's danger, there's rewards. Yeah. There's, I mean, all of it will rest There's something curiosity. There's a treasure. Brain. There's yeah, 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 yeah. Is it, can I die? Yeah. Can I eat? Yeah, can I, well, exactly. I, I don't know if there's any fornicating with other rats in there, but it's yeah, not yet. Not yet. Not, not, that's a, that's <laughs> phase two of the metaverse. You know, I, mean, I get it. That's I get right. it. That's it's right. coming. Yeah. 
Okay. So, so then we thought, all right, this is working. Now we ask literally the $2 million question because yeah. building all this took quite some effort. We listened into those neurons in the rat brain while they were walking around in virtual reality. Mm. That just blew apart every expectation we had and anybody else had. Published in several publications over the last 80 years in really, really top journals and so on. So many people have looked at to check if we are making this up. The first thing that happened, as soon as the rat went into virtual reality, that particular part of the brain that makes space and memories and music and all that stuff in humans, more than half of those neurons shut down simply. So that's something now, here is a major twist to that, right? We didn't expect this, nobody expected this. More than half the neurons, when the rat go into virtual reality, simply shut down. They're not dead, they're not harmed. We bring the rats back to the real world, the neurons are there, they're happily chirping along. But when we put them in virtual reality, they go silent. Why is that? So at that point, there was an editorial in Science Magazine which said that living in the matrix takes less energy. Now that's the that's that's gist of it. Because when you're in the virtual world, the world is much simpler. That's why the virtual reality is virtual and not real. It gets to the heart of what is real and what's not virtual. In virtual reality, your eyes and your ears tell you where you're going. At best, the sounds change based on where you go. The lights change based on where you go. But the smells don't change. The touch doesn't change. You feel the same texture everywhere. In fact, your entire body, your viscera, because when you move around, your body tells you what is your acceleration. There is no acceleration. That's why that virtual reality is virtual. Only half the things are as real as the real world. Other half are actually at odds with what is real. Mm. And the remarkable thing is that this experiment of putting the rat in virtual reality showed that these half the neurons in the rat's brain could tell, uh-uh, this ain't real. I'm checking out. This is too simple. I'm checking out. We put the rat in the real world where all kinds of things are changing, not just sound and light. The whole force of the rat brain is brought in. So that's number one. It turns out this thing is a major application. There are several diseases that people suffer from, such as epilepsy or Alzheimer's disease, where this part of the brain becomes hyperactive. Too many neurons are active. Mm -hmm. There are no drugs to make them quiet. Because if you start to quiet that part, the rest of the brain gets, the rest of the body and brain gets quiet too. And that's not a good thing. That's a pretty dangerous thing. Now we have a potential therapy. We can use virtual reality to temporarily shut down that part of the brain. Isn't that amazing? So we want to partner with pharmaceutical companies, with patients, and so on to say, can virtual reality help to just quiet down that part of the brain? Is it beneficial or is it harmful? We don't know, we want to do that. So that's one major surprise. The biggest surprise perhaps. So looking at that real quick, so one look at this, and so you're saying that by the rats going through the virtual environment and because you're only using um, 
like less than half of your senses, yeah. right? You're not using taste or smell. Exactly, or exactly. Touch. For the most part, you're pretty much using sight and sound. Then the, the part of your brain that is mapping out space and time and social, yeah. all that stuff is not as active. And so because of that, it it calms down that part of the brain. And this, right. the, the cause of the Alzheimer's and some of these other situations is from being overactive and overstimulated with yes. the hippo hippocampus and those types of areas. Yeah. Okay. And then have you, were you able to look at this at all? Cause I know that it also, um, I'm not entirely versed on it, but I know with Alzheimer's there's issues with the, the protein issues and the, yeah. Other, other issues. yeah. So what, are, so how does it, how does that, how does the overactive part of the brain? Cause I think it's, it, it's about, it causes plaque and it causes it to get sticky and that kind That's of stuff. That's exactly right. That's exactly talk, right. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Uh, Cause I understand that uh, to a degree, a bit of that. Yeah. How does, how does the overactive cause the stimulation of plaque and that kind of stuff? First of all, we don't know. Okay. That's the simplest answer. And in fact, it's highly debated whether it's a beta, the protein that's causing Alzheimer's or the a beta agglomeration to so-called tauopathy that's causing Alzheimer's. We don't know, but one thing is fairly agreed upon that many of these proteins travel through the neurons, across neurons through the synapses. Now, it sounds possible, we haven't tested it, so I should put it in big, big caveats, working hypothesis. We don't know this. What I'm going to tell you next is not something we have figured out. That's something we want to figure out. That when you make that brain quiet, the spread gets quiet too. Because things are not connecting to too many things, things may not travel. Mm. It is, that's what our hypothesis is. So we don't know. We need to do this. But what I'm going to tell you next gives us even more confidence that this may turn out to be actually a therapeutic value and a diagnostic value for sure. Mm. Are you ready for me to jump into that before or, or should I answer any question? Uh, no, those things are, I, yeah, it, all of science, there's a... Um... There's science yeah. and there's applied science and there's understanding what works and things. So and, and yeah. again, go, moving from the the crazy to prolific to common common knowledge, I'm right. you know, it, it, what it's making me think about. There's I know there's other right. um, there's other um, things with virtual reality and things that that are out there that 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 are that have some effects. Like I know with like phantom limb syndrome, there was the yeah. thing where you had the stick hand and then you, if, right. you, if you see the mirror of the hand, it then looses up your brain thinks about it, and then you you let go of that phantom pains. So I know those those right. are things that, that have been actually been um, you know, it went from a hypothesis to being applied, which is really interesting science. Right. So I'm um, just wrapping my head. So yeah, I'd love to learn more about that. What was the, the yeah. you said you moved on to the second phase of the, the, um, yeah. the, the, uh, the unobvious discoveries, the discoveries that make you question yeah. what's really going on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So then we thought, all right, so this was the first part. Neuron shut down. Whoa. All right. Yeah. Has something we got to figure out. In fact, until now, for many diseases, people have been developing drugs to turn on and turn off the part of the brain. And they can turn on and turn off the neurons by like 10, 15%. This is 60%. Without any, any drugs, instantaneously turn on and turn off. So what this tells you is that once we start asking fundamental questions and do solid work with new technologies, the brain is going to tell you what to do rather than you going with preconceived notions. It, it just threw up this, nobody expected this. Now, the second thing I'm going to do is along the same lines. If I were to say a few words to you, that Mary was walking around and she had a lamb, uh, you may or may not remember. If I sang it out, Mary had a little lamb, you might remember. Mm -hmm. So we know from our, 
our so-called cognitive experience, that if we experience something where the same words came with music, we remember it better. Why mm. is that? We don't really know. Mm. I certainly don't know why is that, but there is an analog of that, which is in the brain too. It turns out that as soon as the we start to do any task which is cognitively challenging, such as me walking the maze in the room, the neurons in hippocampus, individual neuron not only codes for space, but the collection of neurons start to develop a rhythm called theta rhythm. And I'm going to tap it out for you. Let's see if you can hear it. It goes like yeah. that. It's about eight times a second. Four fingers. If you complete all of that twice in a second, you get eight times a second. The whole hippocampus starts to get activate this ancient rhythm discovered 70 years ago called theta rhythm. Mm-hmm. Now, the funny thing is, so that rhythm is there when the animal explores space. That rhythm appears in human brain when we are trying to do a cognitively challenging task. Interesting correlation, mm-hmm. but not yet a cigar. It's just an interesting correlation. Now, the second thing happens when diseases such as Alzheimer's or other neurocognitive or neuropsychiatric diseases that affect hippocampus happen. The theta rhythm gets weaker, and the people's cognition, memory, attention, all that gets weaker. Mm. So pharmaceutical companies have been developing lots of therapies to boost that rhythm called theta rhythm. In fact, if you simply Google theta rhythm just now, you'll find like 70, 80,000 publications. So it's a huge deal. That's We thought, all right, yeah, go ahead. That's, that's fascinating because I think there was something around... Um... Uh, showing those theta waves. I know. I know. MIT had a study around gamma. I think it was That's gamma right. showing forty hertz right. and doing That's it exactly inside, right. and you can show in the eyes, and it would you know break up the plaque That's or exactly whatever. Right. Where it's going. So That's so right. then the, so then the how does the, the so the theta waves and the gamma gamma waves? Because you're talking about forty eight hertz versus forty hertz. What is I, I'm 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 still wrapping my head around the, the please the, please the, good the, question gamma. actually. Yeah. So gamma waves are the ones which are going at the pace of about 50 times a second. Mm-hmm. So in one second, you'll have 50 gamma waves. This go up mm-hmm. even faster than that. That's gamma waves. Theta waves are very slow. They go more or less eight times a second, very precisely. Some, let's say in the rat brain, for sure, it's eight times a second. Mm. Remarkably, when they put electrodes in human brain, theta rhythm was slower. It was around four times a second. You would think humans are faster and theta should be even faster. Maybe, maybe not. But lo and behold, when people put electrodes in the human brain, they found the theta wave was four times a second, not eight times a second. So that was another little puzzle. Why does theta rhythm come up when you do cognitively challenging tasks? Why is it that it gets weaker when you have some diseases that affect hippocampus? And can we forget why and so on? And can we simply fix it? Can we find a therapy that boosts theta rhythm? See what happens. Mm. Pharmaceutical companies have tried the third thing for the longest time. There's been some benefit, but not too much. We thought, let's look into it. One hypothesis is rats experience is right next to the ground, all kinds of different experience. Let's check the theta waves in virtual reality. And that's a paper that appeared just about two months ago in Nature Neuroscience. Another bombshell kind of thing in our little world. Mm-hmm. That theta rhythm was twice as big in virtual reality than in real world. And when we saw this, we said, wait a minute, this is too good to be true. So let's check. 
So we put the same electrode in the same part of hippocampus. We took the same rat. We put the same visual cues on the walls. We made the virtual maze very simple. He has to just walk in a straight line. So there's no complicated stuff. He has to walk either the real world or virtual reality. Same cues everywhere. Whopping, almost doubling of theta rhythmicity in virtual reality than real world. So now we found a way to boost theta rhythm without drugs by an amount which is far greater than any of the other drugs. Mm. But I never guessed why that happens, but it happened. And the story gets even better. And I'm mm. going to let you ask a question after that, because I know you're waiting to jump in. But let me tell you one more little thing. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Then we look closely. It turns out that neurons are very, very complicated objects. People say our brain is special because we have 100 billion neurons. Well, your foot is 100 billion cells. Your foot is not as exciting as your brain. I am sure that's true. At least I think it's true for me, but I don't know about everybody else. The reason is that neurons are very long objects. Every cell in your body is about 10 micrometer or so in diameter, just like the size of a bacterium. But neurons have these long processes called dendrites. That's where all the memories are stored. Those dendrites are 1,000 micrometers. What we found is that this theta rhythm, which like many people had suggested, lives in the dendrites of the neurons, not in the cell body. When we went and looked in virtual reality, exactly in the cell body, the same slower rhythm that appears in the human brain appeared, but only in virtual reality. So to summarize all that complicated things I just threw at you, yeah. the rat simply by being in virtual reality, the hippocampus develops much stronger rhythm and the rhythm starts to look much more like the rhythms in human brain, which means, and the rhythms get bigger, especially the rhythms which are so-called beneficial for human beings, those rhythms get much bigger in virtual reality. We even give it a name to this rhythm called eta rhythm. There's a bit of joke there because eta, and if you take half of theta, you get eta, and in Greek, eta means half. So, <laughs> it's some <humor. laughs> So there is this other fascinating thing mm. that not only we can turn on and turn off neurons in virtual reality, so far we can simply turn off. We want to develop technologies, we can even turn it on. So you can simply choose the virtual reality based on your desires and you can turn on and turn off neurons. This is within the reach of technology. Within the next five years, we can do that. The second thing is you can change the brain rhythms by putting them in certain kind of virtual reality. We can change the frequency of the rhythm. We can change the pitch. We can change the amplitude. Things that nobody could even remotely imagine was possible. Just put on the VR and we can do this. So that's a pr tremendous possibilities are opened up with this. Yeah, what I'm, what I'm really interested in is, is always when you can stack um, things that have been proven at least to some degree to be effective. So let's just take, for example, and, uh, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a couple of things at you. You tell me what your thoughts yeah. are around this. So so um, what if you had some sort of uh, virtual reality system, right? And yeah. what, you, what you had is you had them going through a maze and let's say for, say, um, Alzheimer's patients, you did something exactly. that was, you had something that was that you, you just by putting in the VR and have them move through, we call it a memory palace. And maybe That's there was right. a, me a memory palace along That's with right. music. And then you, and you're combining those things together. And so you're stacking yeah. and almost like imagine like, 
what's the usually it's like whenever you're trying to strengthen something it's it's a combination of things is it is it fast twitch is it slow twitch that kind of thing so it's, right. it's usually usually both so you're saying maybe if you oscillate between the theta rhythms the eta rhythms the the gamma rhythms as you rotate through those ones and you build it into some sort of memory palace system that's got some sort of new nice. and those types of things if you stack those things all together then it could have a compounding synergistic effect that could possibly um help with alzheimer's or overall just strengthen that part of the brain so that you overall have strengthened those tools so that you can actually be able to function and have more cognitive enhancement and just kind of my exactly. basic thoughts around mm -hmm. that but what Excellent. So you summarized it extremely well. That's exactly mm -hmm. the working hypothesis. I may throw in a lot of technical words into it, such as neuroplasticity and MDA receptors and certain neuro, uh, neurotransmitters such as glutamate and GABA and the cell body and dendrite. All that stuff is there in the science of what we are doing. But the bottom line is this, that depending on the way in which different sensory experiences are combined, we can build memories, we can make memories and even complex abilities such as abstraction and creativity, we can boost it, potential. Mm -hmm. We haven't shown this, but the, the correlates of that, such as theta rhythm, eta rhythm, and the number of neurons active, that much we have certainly shown that by simply putting a rat in VR, we can change gigantic properties of this network. And we feel fairly confident you know, with the full confidence of a scientist, was no idea what's going to happen next. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm super stoked, and I would say it's, it's a, certainly a viable hypothesis to test, mm. given so, that drugs have failed completely. Yeah, I well, believe so, that. Yeah. So with that, let me ask you this. Okay, so then. Uh, what do you think in terms of like the holy grail with this thing, you know, the, the, the hopes and the aspirations with being able to make this, what do you like ultimately want to do with this research and stuff like that? What do you, what do you feel is kind of the end game flag in the sand, holy grail place that you're trying to go with this, uh, assuming that some of these, um, these hypotheses do prove out to be true. Yeah. So let's, let's build this. So let me, let me, let me step back to reality first and go steadily from something that we can do in roughly two to five years, mm -hmm. then what we can do in 10 years, mm -hmm. and then maybe complete moonshot. So let's go in that way. Sure. Moonshot, sure. I'll tell you the very last. Let me start with the thing we can do right away, which mm -hmm. can be useful. Mm -hmm. So the first thing is let's take on a huge number of people who are suffering from a variety of neurocognitive disorders, either ADHD, or Alzheimer's, or memory deficits, or depression, and so on. This, as I mentioned, this part of the brain is implicated. Now, what can we do now? Because all we have shown is that we can turn off neurons and boost rhythm. We have not really shown anything about whether it benefits the person or not, because that will take time. Now, what can we do? We don't want to completely ditch the pharmaceutical route either. Let's learn from why is it that despite the best of the scientists working in curing these diseases, they have not been cured. Because we, we can learn from it rather than just going completely in empty space. So I looked at the literature quite a bit. Why is it that Alzheimer's hasn't been cured? Mm. Well, fun fact, bad pun, but fun fact, Alzheimer's has been cured in rats and mice. In fact, there have been easily a dozen different drugs from major companies like Pfizer and Eli Lilly and so on, they came up with several drugs that actually worked in rats and mice. It cured the plaques and A-beta and all that, 
and their cognition was improved too. But when they tested those drugs in the very, very expensive so-called phase three clinical trial in human, which are very expensive because you have to have placebo control and you can't just inject drugs in human, rightly so, the drugs actually failed in humans. Mm. They worked in rats and mice, failed in humans. So I believe one reason is that A, the when that they are, so I thought, let's look into how are they testing the rats? Because if I were to interview an Alzheimer's patient, I might ask, you know, what did you have for lunch? And where is your home? I can't ask that to a rat because there's no way I can communicate. Mm -hmm. So the way people have been testing the rats to see if they have good memory or not is the following. It's a classic test called a water maze. If you simply search the word water maze in hippocampus, you'll find about 100,000 citations. Gold standard until now. What you do is that you create, a, you know that if you simply ask the rat to say, go find a treasure somewhere, they're going to cheat on you and they're going to sniff, leave a little scent trail on the ground. Mm -hmm. So to prevent the rat from cheating, because we can't put the scent trail on the ground, what they do is they take a tank of cold water, they dunk the rat in it, and he has to swim in that cold water tank because he's freaking out. Jesus, I'm, I'm going to drown and I'm super uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Unknown to him, under the surface of the water, there's a platform. So if he reached there accidentally, he can stand on top and now he's not drowning. So that's a classic test. When people develop these Alzheimer's drugs, or for example, any other neurocognitive drug that hits hippocampus, as I mentioned, there are dozens of these unfortunate diseases, they test whether the drug works or not by giving the drug and then checking the rat escapes to the platform to save his life. Seemed like a good thing, but mm -hmm. as we know, the circuit which is involved in fear and escape is amygdala and related circuits. That's a totally different kind of memory, the kind of memory that, that kind of gives you PTSD, the kind of memory yeah. you don't want to remember. So we thought, won't it be nice if we tested the rat in a happy memory case rather than a fearful memory? So there we built a virtual reality. This is the latest publication that came out just two weeks ago. It's not even in print yet. It's going to be in print in one week from now. It's in nature. So it's a seven years of experience, ex experiments. So it sounded like a nice idea, but took seven years. So <laughs> that gives you. <laughs> we said, all right, instead of giving the rat treats in virtual reality, wherever he wants, we're going mm -hmm. to make it just a little harder. So he's in this big virtual room, the size of ordinary house in which you put the keys. And we often forget where I put the keys. Where the hell did I put my cell phone? I asked that to myself, like God knows, million times a day. So unknown to him, we have buried a treat in one spot. And he's free to walk around in the virtual reality. We make sure he's comfortable and he has to find that treat. What we found was completely surprising. Instead of finding this place, first of all, we tested the rats in the same condition as we can test a human being. We can now lift this whole thing, put it around the human head, the same we are, can put it around in a clinic, in a, in a patient who says, I have memory deficits. We can ask them to say, in this room, somewhere there is a reward. Walk around and find it. Once you find it, I'm going to ask you to go there again. Pretty complicated. Mm. Can they do it or not? Turns out Alzheimer's patients are actually lost in it. Mice too are now able to do it, but the nature of responses are completely different than what you see in the real world. That means that we can test the rats and mice 
using virtual reality in the same way that we'll test a human being in a in a clinic and in the same style of memories which are happy memories rather than fearful memories that's the major breakthrough so we believe that technology that we have now proven it's no longer at the level of concepts we have proven it that if you test the rat in a task in which the memories are happy such as where was food yesterday the way in which hippocampus behaves is completely different than when you test it in some very fearful experience say swim for your life or you're going to drown we don't want to do that mm. if we now tested alzheimer's drugs in this task which is a happy memory task we are now testing rats in the same condition as humans we can go through we can screen a huge number of drugs very quickly because testing rats for drugs is much cheaper by like you know million times cheaper than testing it in humans we can screen through the drugs much more quickly and find out which drugs are actually working in this virtual happy memory task in rats and mice and mm. then we try those in humans that can speed up the drug discovery by So that thing is ready to go. That's number one. Got it. So, so that's awesome. So, what you're saying is that you 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 found that that the way that was the the gold standard of testing was basically inaccurate because the testing methods didn't trigger the right part of the brain, which is the main area of how they actually remembered. But the actual area that that is Happy. being affected. The yeah. happy memories where the, the where the, the the plaque normally hits in the beginnings with the initial phases and those kinds of spots that's where it's going to initially right. so if we can if we can test those areas and we can prove out that those areas are effective we can stop it more or less at the source or at least exactly. the origins of where it happens and so now you have a quicker methodology for testing and finding something that's exactly right. in that area versus having to wait going all the way through to the fear sentence which is actually a different spot of the brain yeah. which, which is which is why it doesn't make sense you're you're basically testing you you know you're exactly you're, it's just a it's a wrong testing method so i've got, I've got this light exactly in, so. um, exactly yeah you can literally put the human being and the rat in exactly the same experience it's a measurement testing so the big big thing so called translation we want to translate the basic research into therapies for human the translation becomes very straightforward it's exactly the same question They are literally being asked to do the exact same question. To the same test. If it test. works in one, it's bound to work in another. So that's a huge thing, yeah. which is ready to go right now. We are ready to work with pharmaceutical companies to let that happen right now. Share the knowledge. Let everybody benefit. That's step number one. Mm. Now let's go to step number two. Can we now go and start using virtual reality not just for diagnosis and drug discovery, but actually see? if i boost theta rhythm if i boost the brain rhythms and if i shut down neurons does it have a lasting benefit or not we can work with companies once again we can take either ordinary human beings and check if i can improve the cognition of an ordinary human by calibrating a certain kind of virtual experience so that later on that human will actually be better is that true and if the answer turns out that no the human is not better the human gets worse well we better know that too right now before you know all of us plug into vr in the metaverse and play that day and night we think that there is going to be a vr that's going to be beneficial for sure mm. i'm totally gung ho about it but we need to do that with rats first before we start plugging into humans so that's number 2 which we are ready to right we know what biomarkers to look for 
how many neurons are active, what's the rhythm, what's the frequency, very solid measures. You're ready to go. And then comes the science fiction, which is number three. So I told you the first two parts. Sure. The third part is the, the greatest abstraction that we are all making, right? The greatest abstraction is mathematics. I believe in some sense, I'm biased. But if you look, if you're like most people, you're not a freak like me for whom math was just obvious. For most people, math is not obvious. And we know that a huge fraction of humanity right now is suffering because education is terrible. Kids don't even have access to textbooks. The teachers don't know. Maybe the right solution is to educate a huge number of teachers all across the world. So we get them access to Coursera from the top schools in the United States or Europe and let them all have that. But we know that if the instruction is only passive, it doesn't go far. Yeah, You've got to actually experience it. Our brain is built to make sense of things we experience, not just things that are kind of a bunch of words. We can now use virtual reality to make abstract ideas concrete without paying a ton of money. Yeah. So to give you a simple idea, Let's say I want to understand geometry. Geometry is about shapes. We can put VR headsets and create very funky sets of geometrical puzzles, which can be created for no money at all. I don't have to manufacture all kinds of toys and so on. I can mock the toys and I can teach geometry to a kid sitting in the same slum that I was born in without leaving from here. And most people have by now, not everybody, but a lot of people have cell phones. You can put Google Glass in it or more fancier VR sets and let them interact in VR and experience those amazing things, such as complicated shapes. Mm -hmm. They can get the same education as that is getting, some kid gets in the most uh, amazing private school in the United States. We can bring up vast majority of humanity, which is, doesn't even have basic, basic education to start learning these basic things. This is doable in five-year time scale. It's just a few sets of people who are well-meaning get involved. Mm. We can teach them mathematics, and now we are boosting real intelligence. Before we go to artificial intelligence, we can boost real intelligence by teaching people complex things. Mm. Just by experience, this is doable. Yeah. So then it's almost like you're saying that there's. I mean, there's, there's several things here, but one of the things being is that. The best way for humans to learn is through experiential learning. The best type yes. of experiential learning, the cheapest, most affordable, the most impactful, the, the one that we now have access to is the ability to actually experience it through the use of virtual reality. And whether that, That's and right. you can use the same type of thing if we're doing testing with the drugs by making the chemetric right. tests and the drugs. And then we can actually have a symbiotic relationship between the actual experiential learning and training and testing inside VR, and then actually working with the drug facilities to actually say, okay, let's make better tests using the, the using the technology that we have at hand versus these old archaic gold standards um because now we have better systems to test with and so this that's is right. something that we can we can kind of build to so so if all of that's the case then what is the what would i call the dragon that is preventing that from being successful like what do you think is the biggest thing stopping this from actually happening uh in my opinion hmm. it is the it's getting the message out really mm -hmm. The biggest hurdle is getting the message out. And, you know, the, the show that you're doing is one of the biggest service anybody can do to the society. Because these amazing findings that we have, they stay hidden in really 
complicated journal. More, nobody can even access them. If they access it, they can't really even hold upside down, just like I won't be able to if I walk to another branch of science. So the biggest challenge is for us scientists to, to kind of share that idea in, a, in the language that people can understand. So if there are certain people who are listening to this show, so wait a minute, you know, this thing sounds interesting. We begin a dialogue so that we can synergize, just like the brain has to synergize different senses. We got to synergize different human beings. If we can simply do that, we can start doing these things that most people don't realize. If I were to tell you right at the beginning of the show, that give me money to understand how rat plays virtual reality and that will benefit humanity, you're going to pull me out of here saying, get lost. <laughs> There's some snake oil or something. Yeah, yeah. But that's the deal. The the the, the breakthroughs come from many non-trivial directions. You know, Benjamin Franklin was flying kites, and yeah. now we can't live without electricity. So such examples are there, are plenty of them, and we need to communicate. That's mm. the main thing. So yeah. those people, we can now push this even beyond. So I can go one step to the very last step, which is where we started right at the beginning, the ten-year or maybe longer time scale hopefully 10 years. I'm hoping it's seven, not even 10, but you know, we got to be yeah. realistic. Yeah, sure. We got to, so if this is real, right? If, mm. if everything I'm saying, the science is real, the hypothesis still need to be tested fully. If that is true, if your neocortex and the hippocampus talking together are creating this amazing, weird thing called space and time and memories and events and all that stuff, and what we want to do is to figure out how the hell is that thing creating intelligence? Then we will know how does real intelligence work. And once we figure out the algorithm of the real intelligence, we can make the real AI, which is not just artificial, but it's a natural intelligence. Yeah. Now the two can work synergistically and we can all prosper by plugging into the thing. Yeah. <laughs> and I can't solve the problem. I just plug into that thing and let it solve the problem. <laughs> I think yeah, I, I think Neuralink would definitely with Elon Musk plugging into the brain. I think there's yeah. something there with plugging into yeah. that stuff. I think this is incredible. Um, and so and it's funny, yeah, because you're talking about uh, give me money for rat virtuality to benefit humanity. It's just a funny statement, just in general. Yeah. Um, but it, <laughs> it, but it is, is it, but these it's, it's these unintuitive connections and synapse firings that causes, you know, it's like, it's like That's a comedian right. when you align up those things, the last spot, as you can see this light coming in on me, when it comes in on it, you it actually, you make those, that it's that revelation that by taking right. multiple lenses and looking through the lenses, you actually come up with something that you couldn't get through. If you only looked it through one myopic standard way of doing it, which exactly. is drug therapy, which is beautiful. Um, so with all of that being said, I'd like to I'd like to uh, come to a close of this podcast because it's been incredible talking with you. Could you please let people know how they can get a hold of you so they can they can find out more about what you do and 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 look into more of the work that you've created? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm you know all over the you know I, we 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 make sure that all the research that we have we make it available on our lab's website. I'm sure you will post it at some stage. Mm -hmm. But my name is unique enough. So if you type Mike Meta, you'll find me on the web. Uh, I'm not, I wish I was John Smith because nobody can find me. <laughs> but I'm Mike Meta. And you type that or Mike and UCLA or I'm on Twitter. Mm -hmm. We make all the videos available. You can watch the videos. Don't have to believe me. You can watch the rat, play the virtual reality game. 
you can listen to individual neurons you can listen to the rhythms of the neurons you can read the press releases where we try to make this easily accessible so that's the best way and by all means email me with your questions i want to work with everybody because i'm sure i can learn a lot from others that i never considered before in fact we are just getting ready to start just getting started to start testing human beings so we are venturing the human territory for the first time i never thought i will do that but we are getting ready to go there <laughs> i love it all right mayak uh thank you so much for being on the show i really appreciate your time i appreciate the work that you're doing and uh yes it's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you so i will i will see you on the other side Absolutely. And keep up the good work. You're bringing people together. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Take care now. All right, bye. Thank you for listening to the Heroes of Reality podcast. Check out heroesofreality.com for more episodes. While you're there, you can also take the Heroes quiz to find out what kind of hero you are. Or if you have a great story and want to be on the podcast, tell us why your hero's journey will inspire others. Thank you for listening. See you on the other side.